morning, everyone. Um, kids, there is no junior church today, so if you did not get a bulletin, you will need to go get one of those, because um, you were told you're getting candy today. We haven't had done that for a while, so, uh, um, but I picked out all the things I liked, so what's left is, no, I didn't even touch. I did have, I did touch one. Yes, I did eat some. So uh, I, I have a question here. How many of you know how to play chess, the game of chess? Excellent. I love that game. I learned to play when I was in fifth grade, and it's carefully considering each move, trying to anticipate the opponent's move, and there is a famous painting of a chess match. Um, It's up here. It's hanging in Paris. Um, On one side of the painting is the devil, and on the other side is a lad who people have said looks about 16 years of age. They're playing chess. The devil has this leering, triumphant expression on his face. He has just licked this game. He has just won, it seems. And the boy is sitting there with his head bowed. And if you look closely, it almost seems like he's about to get in tears because he has lost this game. He's won this game. The devil has won this game. This boy has no way out. The title of this is called Checkmate. And so I was looking at this, and there's a famous chess player that came through one day in Paris. He was staring at this painting. He felt so sorry for the boy, and he hated the way this looked. Uh, he just hated the way that the, this feeling, because he understood that feeling. And he kept standing there, and he kept going back to this painting periodically through time. He just kept looking at it. And then all of a sudden, in this quiet museum, he's staring at this photo, or this um, painting, and he said, I found the move. Out loud, in front of everybody who was there, I found the move. If you make that one move, you can win. This chess player forgot that it was a painting. He was so engrossed in the moves of it. We all can see the game of life that we're living in now. And and some different moves have just been made all through this week. And it seems that because of certain things and the way certain plays have been made, that the devil's winning. The devil's going to win the game. We look at the whole world and sometimes it seems so dark. It seems so dark with times of just intervals of bright lights, but yet they're fading. By and large, the basic issues have not changed. And as we look into the future of the next two or even three generations, it almost seems that we could all just say, check me. We've lost. It's over. But I believe there is one looking down at this chess game of our life, and he is saying, there's a move you can make. There's a move you can make, and then you win. Jesus has uh, set an amazement, amazing movement within the timeline of, of history. He set it into motion. He envisioned and formed what we call the local church. The church and the church's birth from that first church have been handed down through generations, through multiple generations until we have where we are today. Through the churches that Jesus built, he is beating the devil. And and we need to understand that. Through the churches that Jesus built, Jesus 
is winning. Today, as we said last week, today we're starting a new study. We're going through the book of Acts. And we're going to see and watch the events unfold as Christ builds his church. And as that church is birthed and growing and how it expands and it, it reproduces and creates more churches. And it goes from its own back door to, or backyard to across the world. To start off in looking at the book of Acts, though, we actually have to back up and look at the gospel of Luke. Now, if you hear the word gospel, in case you don't know it, that means good news. Okay, so the gospel of Luke is basically titles, the good news according to Luke. That's what that means. Now, let's look at the first few verses of Luke. Luke says this, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you are taught. Luke makes it very clear why he is writing to Theophilus. Theophilus is a weird name. Theophilus means love of God or friend of God. That's what the, the title means. The word Jesus, the name Jesus means something, especially back then. The name Donnie has a meaning. Do you know what it is? World ruler. That's right. There's another one right there. So, um, bow. Okay, so never mind. But they meant something back then on purpose. Then look, notice what Luke says, what he does here. He sets out to write an accurate account. If other writers use eyewitness reports, how much more accurate does Luke want to be? That's what he's really saying here. In verse 3, he says he carefully investigated, he studied, he researched. Luke is writing his gospel account as a scholar. Theologians all agree that Luke's writing is the most complex Greek all in the New Testament. He is very particular with the words he uses, which phrases he uses. Um, and Greek can, has, it has different rules than English. We can all understand that there's different levels of education in our English language, right? So here, the man walked to his family. Okay, that's, that's a basic sentence. We all understand that. Basically, English, who is the subject? Man. See, kids, you do need to know this stuff. Okay, the man did something. The action, what is the action? The verb. Walked. Okay, and what is the destination? To his family. We all understand this. Now take this phrase, this simple English, and look at this statement. The elderly man, leaning on his cane, purposely struggled step by step, making sure his ascent up the hill would lead him to, his, to the loving arms of his faithful family where he would shower his love and devotion. What is the subject of that sentence? The man. What is the verb? Struggled, walked, journeyed. And what is his destination? The family. But isn't this a much more complex sentence? And so when we look at Luke's
Luke's writings compared to the Gospel of Mark. Mark would be very simple to the top statement. Luke goes into very big details, and he stretches it out, and he goes into all these things, and it's very complex. That's how Luke writes. He purposely puts in these great, greater details, more so than any other New Testament writer. We also know Luke is a physician, and so physicians, they speak in common terms, don't they? <laughs> of course they don't. That's another reason his grammar is so complex, because he's been schooled, he's gone to universities, he's been learned. And so that's another reason why he describes things a certain way. He understands the value of studying, of researching, and proving something. This year, we are focusing on the book of Acts, not Luke. Now turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Who wrote the book? Doesn't say, does it? It doesn't say, I, Donnie, have written this book to you. But it does say something about the author. It says in my first book, so this is his second book, where's the first book, and who is it written to? Theophilus. This is a continuation. Luke's first book, the Gospel County wrote, is written to Theophilus. The book of Acts is a second volume that Luke writes to Theophilus. And if Luke takes such strength, such study to prove and give an accurate account in the Gospel of Luke, do we think it'd be any different in the book of Acts? This gives us a whole foundation of how we need to look at the book of Acts. Go to verse 3. During the 40 days after he, meaning Jesus, suffered and died, he, Jesus, appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift, he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Luke gives us some great details here. And, and we need to really unpack these. Forty days after the death, burial, and, and the death and burial of Jesus, Jesus proved many times it said that he was alive. This wasn't a one-day event where the people said, oh, we think Jesus is alive. It said he proved multiple times. Jesus was with his disciples many times. And how did he prove that he was actually alive? It said he appeared to them. Okay, so they saw him. But look at verse 4. What does it say? Once when he was eating with them. That's very important. Jesus ate with them. There was a theory for in the early days that this Jesus was just in an apparition. He was a ghost. Apparitions don't eat. Ghosts don't eat. Only things that are alive eat. A hallucination doesn't eat and actually leave an empty plate. And a physician who is writing this would know that. Luke purposely puts this morsel of facts in. You like that pun? Come on. That was for everyone to see. Jesus commands them, just like he did before in the crucifixion. What does he command them to do? 
Stay in Jerusalem until God the Father sends you the gift I told you about. Remember that baptism, that one in the water, that gift is coming. It's going to be like that, except with the Holy Spirit. And the disciples, they didn't go, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. They didn't understand it. They kept trying to figure out, look what it says in verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? So Jesus, are you now going to free? Are you now going to do everything that we think you're going to do? Are you going to restore the kingdom? I want to know. They're still thinking earthly matters. Jesus replies this way in verse 7. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. Jesus, are you now going to free us? Are you now going to build the kingdom? They're still looking for where Jesus is going to sit. David had a throne, and we were told that your throne would never end. Jesus, are you finally going to sit there? Get rid of the Romans. Isn't there times in our life where we just want to get rid of a certain group of people? We're tired of their oppression. We're tired of their animosity. We're tired of their hate. We just want Jesus come and fix this here. And Jesus said, whoa, look here. Done something greater. That's in God's hands. You don't need to argue or debate or fight to make the kingdom come. Jesus already told them all about this. Matthew 24, verse 36. No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father. Jesus, are you going to do it now? Um, didn't I already tell you that? I don't know when that's going to happen, and I don't need to know. But he does give them some final instructions. How many of you, like when you were younger, your mom and dad would leave for a while and they'd write out a list of things, make sure these are done? Final instructions before I get back. Kids? Yeah, I can see you like, yeah, I get them all the time and I don't do them. Husbands, how many of you get a little to-do list, make sure these are done before I get home? In a half hour, you're like, oh man, I forgot to get that. We have final instructions. Why do we give them? Why do we write these and give these instructions? Because they're important. They're things that need done. Jesus gives some final instructions. The disciples are like, are you ready? Are you ready to prepare and get the kingdom? Are we going to set it up now? We're ready to do something. And Jesus gives them some instructions. He tells them to wait. Wait. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the Holy Spirit. How many of you really like to just sit and wait? I mean, you see, you're driving down the road and you're like, oh, another red light. Yes. Look at this long line at Walmart. I get to wait. We wait forever in doctor's offices. Don't you like to show up early just so you can wait longer? Yeah, we love waiting. No. And yet, Jesus says, wait. Why do we have to wait because of a red light? Because it's not safe to proceed at the moment. We wait because we need expert help, so we wait in those doctor's offices. Jesus tells his people to wait 
for the Holy Spirit. Don't jump ahead yet. Don't jump to the end. Wait. And then Jesus says this in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After they wait, after they wait until they receive the Holy Spirit, then what are they supposed to do? Jesus' instructions are to go and tell. Very simple. Wait until you get the information. Now, go and tell. He says to be my witnesses, to share the good news, the gospel to tell others that Jesus saves people from their sins. Jesus did not say, go live your lives hoping that people would ask what's different. Jesus didn't say, go live in a way that makes people wonder, huh, why is their life different? He commands his followers, after you have received the Holy Spirit, you must go and tell. I love show and tell when I was in in school. The preschool still gets show and tell. And sometimes I'll pop in there and show something of mine that I just want to show you this really cool thing and talk about it. When a kid is talking about this little um, horse, I saw one bringing this horse. My daddy got me this and you can braid its hair and when you flip it over you can see some words here and I got it here. They just keep talking because they like it. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing with Jesus? My Heavenly Father gave him to me and he saved me, and he took away my sins, and I can't wait to just keep talking and talking and talking about him. The disciples were to go and tell. But where were they supposed to go and tell? Um, first, in their direct proximity, their hometown, then to those who are similar, then to spread out to the surrounding areas, to those who are against them, and then finally, Everywhere else. They're supposed to start in Jerusalem, their hometown. And then to Judea and Samaria, their nation, um, nearby region, and then finally to the ends of the earth. This is what they are to, where they are to go and tell. And Jesus gives them very clear instructions after go and wait, now go and tell. Now let's go to verse 9 in Acts. After saying this, he, meaning Jesus, was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they were straining to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into the heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. The disciples, they get this, they just spent 40 days with him, right? They saw him die. They saw him dead. They saw him in the tomb. And then for 40 days they saw him alive. And as he's giving them instructions, all of a sudden he just flies into the heavens. Just flies into the sky. And they're standing there, straining their eyes. You know what one of the funniest things to do is? Guys, kids, listen, I want you to do this. Nice day outside, and there's a bunch of people around. Start squinting and looking into the clouds. Look. Did you see that? You know what happens? Everybody starts looking. You're not looking at anything, but everybody will start looking. It's a science experiment. Go do it, kids. 
There's some of you already looking at what I was trying to look at. Okay? Why would these guys be staring up in the cloud? They wanted to see Jesus. They just saw him fly into the heaven. How many of you have ever seen somebody just lift off the ground and keep flying? I have it. I want to keep saying that. Wouldn't you do the same? Keep staring and trying to screen your eyes to see even more. They've been following around for three years. They left their jobs. They received persecution and hate mail. They went traveling, telling people about this same Jesus. They saw Jesus feed thousands of people with a sack lunch. They saw this Jesus heal so many people of diseases, of blindness, and even raise people from the dead. They saw this Jesus who was beaten, who was crucified, and they and saw him die. They saw the tomb, and a few of them saw the empty tomb. And then for 40 days, they saw him walk and prove he is alive. And then he flew up. I know I'd be standing there staring to what's next. Okay, you said to do this, but I, I want to see you more. Disciples are staring up after Jesus. They knew he had promised to return. Maybe, maybe, oh, right there, right around that, is that him again? And they're straining. Maybe they're looking for not just the last glimpse, but the first glimpse of him coming back. But their focus was off. It says two uh, robed men were there. In most places, when angels appear, the angel has to tell the person, don't be afraid. Okay? And that's because when the angel shows up, the people are looking around, and boom, there he is. Boom, oh, stares him. Where were the disciples looking? Were they looking around? No, they're looking up, and then they're here. Um, angels are generally what in Scripture? I, I taught you this in, in Christmas time. What is an angel? A warrior, a soldier, a messenger, coming from um, the commander, God, okay? This time, the angels are wearing white robes. Wait a minute. That's kind of pretty. That's easy. But these angels came with a message, and their first thing was this. Remember, Jesus will return. He told you he would come back, but until then... You have a mission to carry out. Don't just stand here waiting. Don't just stand here. Go fulfill what he told you to do. They were not to stand and watch. They were to go and wait and then go and tell. In this short section, the disciples lost focus. In this short time period that Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait and then go tell everybody. And they forgot to do it. Do we ever do that? Do we ever go, man, God, I love God. I'm going to do everything he says. And we stand here. We lose focus. We lose our direction. This year, our focus for the church for this year is destination, not a literal place. It's not like we're moving to a new physical location. But it is a journey, a, the end of this journey, a purpose for our work. And to do that, we have to stay focused. 
How many of you were ever told in school, you need to focus more? Need to quit talking and focus more. <laughs> that was me. Yeah, Jeff. Okay? To do that, we need to be focused. And honestly, last year, we lost our focus. Individually, corporately as a church, we lost our direction. And many of us just stood around going, okay, God, what are you doing now? I'll just stand here and wait and watch. Some were looking for something to happen. They were straining their eyes trying to see where God is moving. Others were not looking, but still waiting to see what would happen. What do we do? What are our next steps? Let's back up to what Jesus said. Go and wait. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Wait for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The only way to have success in our faith is if we are following the leading, the prompting, and power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say something that's a little bold right now. Generally, in the Christian church, Church of Christ, we talk about God, the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Because we don't want to talk about the Spirit. Because you know what the Spirit is? Unpredictable. The Holy Spirit is kind of crazy. And we like order. Sustainability. But we're going to see something all through the book of Acts. And it's called the Holy Spirit. We have to wait for the prompting, the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way we are going to do that is if we are following the one who gave him to us. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we must, if we are going to claim to be Christians, we must go and tell. It is not a suggestion. Luke's writing here is very clear. You must go and tell. Jesus said it. This isn't words from the elders or the ministers here. This is direct quote from somebody who researched and studied to make sure it was all accurate. You must, after receiving the Holy Spirit, you must go and tell. I don't want to have to have some robed figure come up and say, why are you just standing around? Why are you not doing what Jesus specifically told you to do? And I think, I think many of us, us, probably needed that because we weren't doing it, especially last year. Why, was, why must we go and tell? Because Jesus said what? I will return. Jesus is going to come and get us after we've waited for the power of the Holy Spirit, after we've gone and told everybody what God has told us, Jesus will return. But until then, we carry that out. As we begin the study of Acts, I am, just so you know, I am very excited about watching God's plan of how the Holy Spirit moves within people, how he brings certain people together to birth the church and how then it explodes and starts planting more churches. And do you know what that is? That is a legacy of people of faith that we are a part of. How many of you were there when the first church was born? I mean, 
Jim Platner was close to being there. I had to pick on somebody, and I can't see Croc's face, so I picked him. <laughs> so, we have to trust in the legacy of faith that people have done before us. But we are part of that legacy. We are part of this exciting thing of the church. If you are not a part of the church, if you are disconnected from the the community of the church. I, I want to challenge you first and foremost, why? What is keeping you from being in community of God's church? We were created for community. In the garden, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he gave him community. And then he said, make that community more. And then in the New Testament, guys, I need you to gather together. Get into Unity and community join together so that you can together fulfill the message. A triple braided cord is strong, hard to break. A man by himself gets cold at night, but better is he who has a companion. The whole thing in Scripture, we are needed for community, and that's what the church is. That's what we're seeing here. Go together. The commanding Greek was not go singular. It was go collectively. Go collectively and wait for the Holy Spirit for all of you. Then collectively go and shower the world with the message of Christ. I hear so many people say, I I just don't know what to say. I just wouldn't know how to answer their questions. Well, if you're by yourself, that'll happen. But imagine if you're going collectively with somebody else who may have the answer. And when they don't have the answer, you do. And the church sweeps across with its legacy. If you're not a part of the church, why? Let's back up another step, though. If you have not received the Holy Spirit, if you you can't be a part of the church, really, without the Holy Spirit, that's why you're starting to unite us. And if you have never accepted Jesus, if you've never been repented, placed your faith in him, and been buried in the waters of baptism so your sinful self can be done, Buried, and then you're raised up, filled with the Holy Spirit. What, what is keeping you? What is keeping you? There is no way I am good enough to go to heaven. I'll just tell you that. You don't even have to talk to my kids and my wife. I'm a horrible person when it comes down to what God says is holy. And yet the Holy Spirit invaded my life, stripped that away, and He made me righteous. He made me holy, not because of me, in spite of me. He made something great in something that was not. And if he can do that to this, just think of how much more he could do in you. And I'm not saying that I believe that. What is keeping you? What is keeping you from taking that step and saying, I need that Holy Spirit? I need to wait and be filled with that Holy Spirit. But I want you to know, once you are filled, that is not the end game. The destination is not coming to church. The destination is not being filled. The destination is going and telling until he returns. That is part of this destination. See, in the game of life, Satan is going to make it look like he's winning. 
He's going to pull all the moves. He's going to cheat. He's going to coerce. He's going to lobby. He's going to do all these things to prove that he is the winner. But a cheater is never the winner. Ever. They may seem like they're the winner for a part time, but they are not the winner. There is always a move that the master can say, hey, watch this. The church, the church is going to come under a pretty good persecution probably in the next 10, 15 years. I don't know. I don't need to know. I know my mission. I'm filled with the Spirit, so what is my mission? Go and tell. And if I'm doing that, they can do whatever they want. Because I'm fulfilling that mission knowing He is going to come get me. Is Jesus going to come back and get you? Really answer that right now. Is Jesus coming back to get you? And if the answer is yes, live like it. Tell them. Tell the people, I know I'm going to heaven. And I want heaven to be full of people to party for the rest of the eternity. Heaven is not a place where we sit on clouds playing harps. That'd be boring. Heaven is not boring. Heaven is going to be the ultimate feast, the ultimate party. And I want a lot of people there. So who did Luke write to? Theophilus, friend of God. Are you ready to receive that message from God? Are you ready to be that one who loves God, who is a friend of God, to take that message of waiting for the Spirit and then going and telling? It's part of our destination. If you need to make a decision or if you need to talk about that, I, we want you to know we are always here to talk about that. You can contact the elders. You can talk to Dustin and myself. But you are never going to have to do it alone. That's what the church is. We are community. So let's do that. Let's community. Let's stand up. Let's go worship God in his throne, praising him, thanking him for what he's done. And then let's carry that and tell the rest of the world.